You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Hello, church family. This is Nellie. And just like anybody else, we have a lot of favorite scriptures. And this is one of my go-to and favorite scripture. It's in Matthew 6, 25-33. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And to me, this scripture has really helped me, especially when I was going through a lot of health issues. Uh, so especially uh, the verse which says, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And as I surrender my life to to Jesus, um, I have really noticed that relying on him really helped me to be at peace and um, to accept life as it is given to me by God. I mean, I receive a lot of blessings from him and just really waking up and seeing my children each day is already a blessing for me. Thank you. Have a nice day. Bye. Amen. Thanks, Nelly. I think that could be the sole sermon right there. Uh, just her script, reading that scripture, her perspective, uh, really great stuff. And that's really what we're uh, after with this series on uh, that we're doing called Finding Hope. Uh, looking into a part of the scripture that uh, maybe you don't look to that often, which is the Minor Prophets, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, last week, I, I shared a new song and uh, that just came to me, and uh, it kind of fit with what we're talking about. And then I didn't realize till later, and I started getting texts from people that um, I had kind of accidentally backed into this corner, and I was right under that blue light. So it kind of looked like I was receiving some kind of laser hair treatment for uh, growing more hair. Uh, but that's not what was happening. Uh, but uh, Steve actually wrote a song as well, and uh, he uh, uh, called Hard Times Are Not The End. And, uh, you know, as he was, re- well, he wrote lyrics to a song, but as he was reading it, all of us were saying the same thing. Oh, it's a country song uh, because of some of the lyrics. So um, this week I thought I would just add a little twang to it, add a little uh, instrumentation to Steve's song. So we'll start with Steve's song, Hard Times Are Not The End. 
Got my new truck stolen, it was parked outside And my wife went a-rolling with another guy I done lost my job, my dog up and died But the good Lord knows just how hard I tried Cause he times a heart and at times I cried But it'll all be worth it on the other side Cause I got my dog and I got my friends These are hard times, man but this ain't how the story ends Oh, I got my God and I got my friends These are hard times, man But that ain't how the story ends Sing with me Oh, these are hard times, man But that ain't how the story ends One more time Oh, these are hard times, man but that ain't how the story ends. Yeah! Uh, yeah, that was, that's a good one. We'll have to do something with that. Uh, Finding Hope. We're looking at uh, the minor prophets. The minor prophets are called minor, uh, not because they don't matter, but because they're just the shorter prophetic books. And we're going to be looking at Amos uh, today. And as I mentioned at the welcome, you know, I know it's been uh, probably an exhausting week for some of you uh, with uh, everything going on in the country, but we're going to leave the world of, of uh, our politics and religion and the world that we're in. We're going to go back to uh, the politics and religion of the, uh, the world of Amos a little bit and uh, just to see what we can learn from God's perspective on some of the stuff that he was going through. So I think some context is good to talk about, uh, you know, what, what time period are we talking about? So I will often share this uh, kind of uh, memory device uh, to be able to know what we're talking about. So if you take a, 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 a line, a timeline there and divide it in half and you have Abraham on one end, and you have today on the other end, Jesus is about halfway between. So Jesus was about 2,000 years ago. Abraham was about 4,000 years ago. And that's helpful because it's kind of helpful to know, you know, the timeline and scale. So now if we kind of zoom in on that uh, between Abraham and Jesus, if you divide that again, David is about halfway between Abraham and Jesus. So David was about 1,000 years before Jesus and about 1,000 years after Abraham. If you divide that again, you have Moses and the Exodus in that period, around the 1400s or so uh, that they came out of, of Egypt. And so what happened is uh, God, Abraham's uh, family becomes a nation in Egypt that's enslaved. And God rescues them from slavery, calls them out of Egypt. Moses is their leader. A huge time in Israel's history. Uh, the other spot there between David and Jesus, if you divide that again, that becomes the time known as the exile. And that's the time period that uh, Steve was speaking from last week with Habakkuk. Right leading up to the exile, God was saying that uh, the Babylonians, God's going to use the Babylonians and they're going to refine his people. The, the, the Babylonians become an instrument for God to refine and use his people. Um, and at this time, uh, Israel was a divided nation. There was a, the northern kingdom known as Israel and the southern kingdom known as Judah. And we're backing up a little bit from where Steve was last week, where it says on their timeline there, Amos and Hosea. Uh, Hosea. Uh, that's the time of, of Amos. And so this is right before the northern kingdom is attacked by the Assyrians. And I'll give you a little more 
uh, about that. So again, we're looking at the book of Amos. If you want to go ahead and be turning over there. Uh, before we uh, dig into a, a couple things that, that I think will help us today, I want to just give you a little bit of background about the book of Amos. Uh, a lot of what we do on Sunday is, is also to inspire you to, to look into this more on your own and investigate more. Some of you are really more into researching things about the Bible than others. All of us are, uh, love the Bible, of course. But um, just uh, I got to always have a little bit of something for the Bible nerds. So just a couple things. So, so Amos was from, uh, well, here's a, a scripture where we, we hear how Amos felt about himself in Amos 7. Says Amos answered. He was being told, "Get out of here. Go back to where you're from." And uh, he said, "He he answers. I am no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I'm a herdsman and the keeper of sycamore trees. The Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, "Go prophesy to my people Israel." So we see here how Amos felt about himself. He's not. He didn't feel about himself like he's a professional prophet or he was born to be a prophet. He was a shepherd. And he was a keeper of fig trees, and yet God called him to a, a greater purpose. And a lot of us in, in our church, we, we, we didn't necessarily grow up in the church, or we come from different backgrounds. We're a very diverse group. Uh, some of us, you know, are, are like, if you would have told me I, was, I would be a Christian, or if you would have told me I would be sharing for communion, or, or doing the, you know, uh, this or that, when I was back then, you, I, I'd said you were crazy. That's kind of how uh, Brian's shaking his head there. That's kind of how Amos felt, you know, like I was just called by God to do this. And uh, he was from a, a, if you look on a map uh, on your screen there, he was from a, a town called Tekoa which was a small, small little village a little bit north of Jerusalem. So he's actually down, see where it says Judah in the south and then Israel in the north. So he was part of the southern kingdom, but he was called to uh, be a prophet to the northern kingdom. And this is before they are overtaken by Assyria. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, how, did, how did Amos communicate? He, uh, the, the language in the book of Amos is, is very, uh, it, it has a lot in common with what's known as wisdom literature, like the book of Proverbs, for example, or the book of Ecclesiastes is considered wisdom literature. It could be possible, scholars think, that Tekoa was known for its wisdom. There's a wise woman of Tekoa who helps talk some sense into David. If you remember the story Marshall Mead told about that uh, several weeks ago. Uh, that, that's the same town as uh, Amos is from. But uh, wisdom literature uses that parallelism uh, that uh, we're probably familiar with if we've read um, Proverbs before. For example, uh, there's a, a spot we're going to look at today where it says, uh, let justice roll like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream. The, so it's kind of two phrases that complement one another or uh, or contrast one another. That's called parallelism. Another thing that uh, he uses a lot is this um, X, X plus one formula, which means uh, like for three sins of Judah, yea, even for four, I will not remit, r relent. And then, he, you know, for four sins of this, five sins of that, I will not I will not uh, stop prophesying. And that's just a formula. A lot of times we kind of look into that. What's he talking about? Seven sins then? It's three plus four. You know, it, it's, just a, it's just a wisdom literature thing he uses a lot if you, if you read, as you read through Amos. And then another thing he uses a lot is, is, is kind of examples or um, I think today you, it would be, we would uh, consider it as kind of an illustration. Like I might hold a, uh, like I, I, a few weeks ago I, I poured out a wine bottle. And use that as an illustration for Jesus pouring out himself. Um, so, so there's a lot of that in Amos where he'll use an illustration. And some of this is, is lost on us because we might not understand the illustration. But a, a lot of it is he uses wordplay 
and, and so that's very tricky because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so we don't know the language. And so the wordplay sometimes doesn't work. And I want to give you an example of this. Uh, just This is a, kind of the Bible nerd section, but just so you know what uh, translators have to deal with. So, for example, if you look at Amos 8, it says, This is what the Lord God showed me, a basket of summer fruit. He said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. Okay, so... You know, we're reading this. This is the NS, NRSV version, which is a word-for-word -word version. They try to be very, uh, you know, uh, accurate with, with kind of translating each Hebrew word into the accompanying uh, English word. And it's like, what does a basket of summer fruit have with the end coming upon my people Israel? It doesn't seem like it makes any sense. And so that's because we don't read Hebrew, myself included. I got to do a little bit of research to get this. But... Uh, the, the word for summer fruit is kates, and the word for end is kate. Uh, kates is summer fruit, kates is end. Kates and kates. So he's doing a word play there. He's, what do you see? Oh, I see a basket of kates. And then God says, the end is near. Kates is near. So see that? It's word play on the, the word kates. But we don't understand it because we don't read Hebrew. So look at what the NIV version has done. They're trying to communicate the same idea. So the NIV says, This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos, he asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, The time is ripe for my people Israel. So that's not actually accurate. That's not exactly what the text is saying. But NIV is trying to com communicate the same meaning. So this is an example of, of different translations and how they're trying to wrestle with the original text. Um, cool stuff, and that's all I'm going to talk about with that, but just a little something for the Bible nerds, okay? Uh, so Amos, we're talking today about getting beyond politics and religion, beyond politics and religion, and see how God felt about it. So we're going to talk about Israel's politics, and we're going to talk about Israel's religion at the time that we're in. First of all, uh, politically. So... Uh, here's a map of the kingdom of Assyria. Israel, if you look, uh, see where it says Judah there in the yellow, right? It, Judah and the, the promised land, what we know as the promised land, was a small little spot of, of real estate about the size of Vermont. And it was situated between the, the, big, the world, big world powers at the time of Amos were Egypt to the south and Assyria to the north. And you see the, the dark green, that's the Assyrian nation in the time of Amos. So it's pretty big, pretty substantial. Uh, let me show you what Israel is there. That's Israel. So the reason Israel is not on this map is it's showing you, so the light green is what Assyria conquers. So if you look, uh, it says uh, the, the dark green is the Assyrian Empire in 824, and the light green is the Assyrian Empire in 671, so a couple hundred years later. So uh, Amos is right in this middle, right in between those two. So as right before Assyria takes over and conquers all kinds of, of land. So in the time of 8th century, uh, the Assyria, in the time of Amos, Assyria was dealing with internal conflict. They were having, uh, you know, uh, power struggles within their own nation and things like that. And so they were kind of distracted from the vassal states. They were distracted from dealing with other, you know, surrounding nations. So Israel kind of had a lot of, of 
they had a relief from Israel, and so it was a time of prosperity for them. And it's the time of a, of a king named as Jeroboam II. And Jeroboam II expanded the, the, the boundaries of Israel. The biggest Israel ever got was under Jeroboam II. And they were enjoying a time of relative prosperity, at least for those in positions of wealth and power. They were doing very, very well uh, financially, very, very well economically, uh, because of, of Assyria being more kind of hands-off. And yet, as Israel's trans, uh, transitioning from an agrarian to a mercantile society, and, and, and people are moving to the cities, and, and a lot of people are really prospering, there's some people who are really being left behind, and some people who are really being overlooked, um, and, and socioeconomically struggling. Um, and so, Amos is speaking uh, primarily to the social injustices that were going on in Israel. And so uh, he starts the book uh, with these oracles. An oracle is a message from God, uh, kind of a mini sermon, to different nations. And he, he kind of hits all these surrounding nations of, of Israel, and he's kind of getting progressively worse in, in how bad these nations are. And the main thing he's talking about is, is, is uh, kind of uh, war crimes, that they're, they're being... Uh, they're, they're hurting people. They're being harsh. They're, they're, uh, uh, they're being uh, brutal. And then he gets to Israel as the very worst. You would think the worst one would be Assyria or Babylon or somebody else, and yet it's Israel. And he says this in, uh, in chapter 2, verse 6. This is the, what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. So that's that X, X plus one thing I was talking about. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor and deny justice to the oppressed. So what was happening in Israel is they were uh, putting uh, property over people. They were more concerned with their, their economic uh, uh, you know, progress than they were people who were being left behind. And, and, and what makes Israel bad in, in God's mind here in this oracle uh, through Amos is that they should have known better. They are the chosen nation. They are supposed to be um, reflecting to the world a different ethic, uh, the, the, the ethic of the kingdom of God. And yet they are, people are being overlooked. And so you have all these messages in the prophets about uh, the, the quartet of the vulnerable as uh, Steve talked about them a few weeks ago. The, the widow, the orphan, uh, the immigrant, and the poor. And if those people are being overlooked, then that means you don't have a just and equitable society. And, and so God takes personally how we treat people. And you see this uh, in, in, the, uh, in the New Testament as well. There's a kingdom ethic of people over property. People over property. You see that in Jesus. You know, the story of the rich fool. These, these in John, uh, Luke 12, these two men are, are arguing about uh, property and they ask Jesus to arbitrate for them. And he says, I'm not an arbitrator, but he says, uh, a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he tells the story about a rich fool who is very prosperous. His, his business does well. He, he, in fact, he does so well, he doesn't even have room for all of his grain, it says. And so he builds bigger barns than he even has to hold more grain. And he says, I have so much stored up, I can take life easy. Uh, I can eat, drink, and be merry. I can relax. Uh, I don't have to stress about, uh, you know, my, my income. And, and so the, the rich fool is really, 
in our time, he's the picture of the American dream, you know, being able to take life easy, being able to not stress financially. I mean, that's what so much of us would love, right? To not have to worry about paycheck to paycheck. And, 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 and I think it was probably the same in Jesus's time, that this is kind of what everybody's shooting for. And yet Jesus calls the man a fool because that very night he, he died. And his life was demanded from him, Jesus says. And, and Jesus says, this is how it will be with anyone who is, uh, stores up wealth for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And being rich towards God is giving to others. And uh, he who gives to the poor lends to God is, is, uh, is in the Bible. And you know, right after this passage, Jesus talks about sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. So the kingdom economy puts people over property and, and so that, this is important for us today because I think all of us would agree with that. All of us would say, yeah, people are more important than property. Uh, and yet, how do we live our lives? Do we live our lives as if, you know, people matter way more than finances or, or doing, you know, our, our jobs or, or, or getting ahead and, and those kinds of things? Israel was doing great politically, but that wasn't necessarily a blessing. Uh, Amos 4, uh, in verse 1, It gets pretty harsh here. He says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria. Samaria is the headquarters of the northern Israel. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husband, bring us some drinks. Uh, You know, this is just this picture of, uh, you know, party, right? It's just a picture of, uh, you know, uh, comfort, relaxation. Uh, you know, hey, bring me, bring me another drink. I, I just want to relax. Uh, and yet the poor are not being taken care of. The needy are being crushed. And there's another word play on here because the next verse says you will be carried away by hooks. It's kind of a weird thing, but the word hooks rhymes with drinks in Hebrew. So it's kind of like, bring us some drinks, but you will be carried away in links, you know, or something like that. Like that's what Amos is doing, saying, yeah, things like gr- are great, but it's not going to be great. Your life is going to be demanded of you. Uh, judgment is coming, Amos says. Uh, you know, there's this uh, common religious teaching in our day that bounty equals blessing. It's known as the prosperity gospel, that God wants to bless you and God wants to give you uh, a lot of stuff. And God wants to, you know, if, if you if you trust him, if you have enough faith, if you kind of speak into this, a blessing, then God will bless you. Now, I don't say that, I, I think being a disciple makes you a better employee, so you're going to be blessed. You know, being a disciple makes you a better uh, husband, a better uh, wife, so you're going to have a better marriage. Being a disciple makes you just a better all-around person. So, And does God want to bless us? Yes. But bounty does not always equal blessing. Bounty does not always equal blessing. And, uh, you know, think about the lives of the early Christians, right? They went through hard times. They went through struggles. They went through hardships. And so we're not promised bounty. We're promised that God will be with us through the ups and downs of life. We're promised that, that we have an eternal inheritance kept in heaven for us. But we're not promised bounty and, 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 and material blessings in this life. And that's not consistent with what we see in the early Christians. Jesus said, you know, in this life you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the, the world. And, uh, and so God's going to be with us through it. But think about, you know, the stories that you know of the Bible. David, he was doing great with God when he was having a hard time, when he was on the run from Saul. It's when he was prosperous that he really fell. It's when he 
put down the sword and 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 lay down on the couch, right? That he did that he had his his struggles. And so sometimes I think the things that we're we're going after, I want I want to just be able to relax. I want to just have plenty of stuff. I want I just want things to be easy. Sometimes maybe God is going, that's not really necessarily good for you. That's not exactly necessarily what you need. Jesus called us to a cross if we're a follower of Jesus. Since when did a cross become comfortable? And sometimes, you know, sometimes life is going to be hard if you're going to do the right thing. Sometimes doing the right thing might mean losing your job. Sometimes getting behind in sales behind other people because you're not willing to cheat and take shortcuts. Sometimes it means that you don't, you know, you don't win the sales thing because you're, 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 you're trying to be honest. Uh, being honest on your taxes means that you might not, uh, you know, be able to, to have as much as some others who are, are cheating on their taxes. And that's kind of the norm. Uh, being honest in the way that you do business might mean somebody else gets the, gets the, the contract because they're cheating corners and they're, uh, they're doing, you know, so, so sometimes, you know, doing the right thing hurts. But the promise of God is that it's worth it in the end. The promise of God is that God's way works. And that's what Amos is saying. He's saying judgment is coming. You think everything's great, but judgment is coming. There will be a reckoning. You know, there will be a day. And so as people of God, we've got to trust in God's promises, trust in the big picture, even in hard times. That's the message from last week with Habakkuk. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by, not by just our surroundings and how things are going. The righteous will live by faith. That means even when there's not bounty, we praise God. So Habakkuk says, even if there's no fruit on the vine, even if there's no sheep in the pen, even if things are not going well, yet I will still praise my God and my Savior. That's the challenge for us. Amen. My son Marshall here uh, did a project for school on joy and, uh, he, you know, doing different, re- looking at different research on this topic from the Bible, but also outside of the Bible. And just there's this principle of we don't get joy from just storing up for ourselves or gathering for ourselves or giving to our own comforts. We get joy from giving to others. We get joy from sacrifice. We get joy from doing for others. If you're chasing your own prosperity and comfort, you'll always be chasing it. You'll never be satisfied. And here's the positive thing is we can have all we need for joy. We can have all we need for peace. It doesn't depend on uh, the world around us. It depends on our connection to God and to others. We can have even both, even even both joy and peace and love and, and all those important things, even in suffering. That's the good news of the gospel, that through Jesus and through his way, we can have peace and hope and joy and love and all those good things. And the light and momentary troubles that we're going through, they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, 2 Corinthians 4. The struggle is worth the finish line. Can I get an amen? amen. The suffering is worth the prize. Amen. And so we got to live that way uh, and, and, and spend our lives for others instead of for ourselves. I appreciate the example of, of, of Mark and Sheila uh, getting out outward focus even during this time they moved into a new home during uh, this time of covid and uh, when there was a shortage of toilet paper they 
found some toilet paper and they delivered toilet paper to all their new neighbors in their new uh, environment. And that's paying dividends now, you know, as they're meeting people in their neighborhood, you know, months later, they're like, oh, you're the people that gave us toilet paper. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, that's just a small little way, you know, that they're trying to make life better for someone around them. God blesses that kind of perspective of giving to others. Amen. Let's talk a little bit about religion in Israel. So we talked about politics in, in Israel. Let's talk a little bit about religion. There was a lot of religion in politics, uh, religion in Israel. There was politics too. Um, there was actually two places of worship in northern Israel that Jeroboam I had set up, one in Bethel and one up farther north. Uh, Bethel is where Amos was prophesying, and it was the southern uh, place of worship. And the, the guys, the people who were telling him to run off uh, were the people in, in Bethel. And uh, uh, Jesus, God says this about uh, their religion in uh, Amos 5, verse 21. Look at this passage. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice off, uh, fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream. You know, I, I don't, this is a challenging passage. You know, I, man, I would hate, hate to hear that from God. Away with the noise of your songs, Brian. <laughs> uh, what, what was going on? It's, it's because they were looking at their religion, they were going through the motions, right? They didn't care about the needs of, of people. Uh, here's people being oppressed, people being crushed, uh, and yet they're focused on kind of themselves. Even with their religion, they're focused on themselves. Yikes. Uh, I want to talk about the, this last passage where it talks about uh, their religion, uh, their righteousness and their justice rather than re their religion. And, and, and think about this principle. God values relationship over religion. God values relationship over religion. So he says, let justice roll like a river, righteousness like an ever-ending stream. Uh, here's, here's what these uh, Hebrew words are. Righteousness is tzedakah, and it means right, equitable relationships between people, no matter their social distances. Dis differences or social distances. <laughs> right, equitable relationships between people, no matter their social dis differences. I'm so used to saying social distances, I can't. Um, that's Zedekah. So that's what God's saying he wants. He wants right and equitable relationships. What is justice? The, the word is mishpat. And uh, Steve did a whole lesson on mishpat over the summer. Mishpat is concrete actions that you take to correct injustice and to create righteousness. So going after relationships, making relationships that are healthy is, is mishpat. And, and so that's, that's what God wants is for, for our, our religion is it, it's not just about this ind individual, you know, me and God. That, that's where it starts, but then it becomes you and people and it becomes how you treat others. Jesus it, this is consistent with Jesus and his teachings is, is he says, you know, they will know you're my disciples. They will know you're, you're my followers. They will know you're Christians by what? Your love for each other, your relationships with one another. And this is something that we, we never are going to arrive, 
right? We're never going to arrive with, that's why I think he uses this metaphor of a river or a never failing stream. It never, it always keeps flowing. It, there's always a need to be restoring. There's always a need to be uh, helping people and, 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 and connecting with people. And, you know, this is what God wants, not the noise of religious festivals. He wants changed lives. He wants relationships restored. He wants forgiveness that never ends. He wants reconciliation that never ends. Giving, serving, loving one another, justice and righteousness rolling like a stream. That's what God wants. Uh, look at this New Testament passage in James. James says this, and I know this is a familiar passage to many of us, uh, James 1.27, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I heard a preacher say this recently, and I wasn't sure, so I checked it out for myself, but he said there's no and in the Greek. Now, the New Testament is written in Greek. There's no, the word and is not there, and I looked it up, and it's true. Um, I think that it's a question of, of what, what was intended in the Greek, but so it says to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and then it just says this word Greek terio, which is to guard, keep one, keep, you know, to, 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 to kind of protect, protect oneself from being polluted by the world. So it could be interpreted either way. It means these are just two things that God is looking for, or it could mean that the way that you uh, keep yourself from being polluted is by being giving and making sure that, you know, the, 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 the vulnerable are being taken care of. That keeps yourself from being polluted. And I think there's a, there's a, uh, argument to be made for that, that it's hard to have this worldly mindset when you're looking out for the needs of others. It's hard to just be thinking about uh, bounty for yourself and focus on your own comfort when you're trying to help someone else who's hurting, right? It puts your heart in the right place, justice and righteousness for others. It helps our hearts. Helping others helps our own hearts, doesn't it? Um, and, I, you know, I'm thankful for, that we're, we're in a church that is trying to help others. I'm thankful that we're in a church that's trying to reach out to others. And we hung out with uh, Sean, and, uh, uh, Shane, Sean and Lisa uh, Payne on Friday night, and uh, they were talking about this homeless woman uh, that they know in a park nearby here. And uh, her stuff had been stolen, you know. I mean, that's a real low, you know, to steal uh, luggage from a homeless person. But they found it. They it, they found it at, at their place. It was in their area, uh, in their driveway or something. I think they live in a complex. And uh, and so they contacted her and said, "Is this your stuff?" And she said, "Yes." And they were able to to re return her stuff, most of it anyway, to her. But boy, I, I thought that just says so much about Sean and Lisa that they know this woman, that they know her stuff, that they're able to contact her. Uh, you know, obviously, they're, they're, I don't know all that's in her situation. They said she's really down on her luck. They know her situation. But just the, the heart to, to know, you know, homeless people, I think so many of them, they just go by unnoticed. People just, it's like they don't even exist. And here's Sean and Lisa, like, knowing this woman's story, knowing what her needs are, I, I just really appreciate that. If all of us did that, if all of us just were looking out for those around us and the needs around us, what a difference we could make in our community. And, and not only in our community, but around the world, I, I really appreciate the connection of of fellowship that we have with, with uh, the, our churches around the world and being able to help and serve and give to these churches around the world. It reminds me of the first century. Um, in, in the book of Acts, it records this, this, uh, this thing that happened where there was a, a famine and so the disciples were in need in Jerusalem. 
And so the church in Antioch uh, gathered uh, uh, money and, and gathered a collection that they could take down to the disciples in Jerusalem to take care of them there. And historians say this is the first time that ever happens in history. This is the first time ever where you have one people group taking up you know, a collection to go try to help another people group way, 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 way far away. The distance from Antioch to Jerusalem uh, in the first century is kind of like the distance between us and Africa now. You know, it, it just, they're so separated. Uh, uh, and, and yet th- that, that was the heart of the brothers and sisters there was to give and to, to meet the needs. And I really appreciate in our church that we have that, uh, that so many of you have that heart to make sure all the needs are met. During this time of COVID, we've, we've uh, been doing some fundraising for the brothers and sisters around the world through Hope Worldwide. And I want to show you a quick video uh, that is a thank you from some of those places where we've been able to send our donations through Hope. And if you didn't give to Hope last week uh, or a couple weeks ago when we did that, you can still do that and I encourage you to give to Hope. But I want to show you a quick thank you uh, for, from some of the disciples in those places. Okay, I just have... Over 90 households benefited. So on behalf of the brothers and sisters here in Jamaica, we thank you for your selflessness and your kindness. I just wanted to say a huge thank you to Hope. The food packages that we deliver contain about one month's supply of basic essentials and food items to feed a family of four. I really want to thank everyone who put a hand for us to have food in our houses. Gracias a Hope por ayudarnos en estos momentos difíciles. Gracias Hope! And I just want to relay our heartfelt gratitude to you. Thank you, Hope Worldwide. God bless you. So, super encouraging, uh, you know, the, the work that's being done for Hope. And I feel like that's what Amos was talking about. That's what that vision was of justice and righteousness rolling like a never-ending stream and it's through these connections it's through the relationships that we have in the church that that the world is going to be changed um, even during this time that we're in of a lot of social unrest and uh, there's a lot of talk about politics and religion and these things uh, I'm so thankful that we have a hope that's in a, in a heavenly kingdom and our, our hope is in a new uh, a new kingdom ethic, a new religion, a new government, a new kingdom, a new politics, new religion. And so we're in our culture uh, and we're interacting with our culture. We're engaging our culture, but we are, we represent like a city within a city, we, uh, a nation within a nation. We are a new uh, kind of, of living in the church. And, and that's the way that the world is going to be changed is through, uh, through adhering to Jesus and what he taught and, and the, the way that he came to live and, and, and putting, putting these kingdom ethics into the way that we interact with people in our jobs and in our neighborhoods and in our daily lives. One by one and soul by soul, uh, the world is going to be changed through uh, this vision of hope that Amos lays out. And I want to uh, turn to the end of, of Amos. Amos is, you know, nine chapters long. Uh, we obviously don't have time to cover all of it, but in all of these uh 
Minor Prophets, there's usually a, a vision of hope. And so that's why we call this series Finding Hope. And because even as judgment is, is coming on Israel and even as there's, uh, you know, God is, is condemning uh you know, what's happening in their culture in, in, in Israel, his chosen people is messing up and um, he, he expresses this vision of hope. And I want to read this before we uh, take communion together. Uh, chapter 9, verse 11. This is this vision that Amos has that I, I believe is being fulfilled even in our time by the church. It says, In that day I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins. I will rebuild it as it used to be. This is the temple. And, and this is this vision. This is before the temple has even been destroyed, but it's kind of looking forward to God knows it's going to be destroyed. And so there's this, uh, a new temple that's going to be built. And we'll talk more about that next week. Verse 12, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do all these things. God always has a plan, always had a plan for all nations to be blessed. Not just as one nation, but it was through that one nation to bless all nations. Verse 13, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I will bring my people back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. Sorry, can you follow uh, the passage there? They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, uh, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. There we go. So he's talking about true spiritual blessings. He's talking about a new community, a new kingdom, uh, rebuilding the temple. And, you know, I think that it's a double meaning uh, in this prophecy. And we can maybe talk about this a little more next week. But, but that, that did happen in, in one sense, in that God's people were brought back into the promised land. They rebuilt the temple. But they ne- a lot of this wasn't fulfilled. They didn't create a new uh, 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 kingdom or new uh, government that changed the whole world that would come later with Jesus and the church and and what we're doing now today even right right here over the live stream is this new community uh, we're fulfilling this we're rebuilding the temple we are uh, are, are bringing uh, goodness to the world around us uh, and and this vision of of wine. It is it, in the Bible is always a, a, a symbol of of, uh, of peace. You can't have wine when you're on the run. You know, wine takes you have to be established for a while because you've got to uh, plant vineyards. A lot of times, it takes a while for those to mature to, to where you can get grapes, and then it takes a while to be able to have grapes that you can turn into wine, and then it takes a while for that wine to ferment. So, so bread and wine and these symbols are, are symbols of peace. And symbols of, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're safe. You're in a safe place. And I want to think about that as, as we take communion, that the bread and wine being symbols of peace and being symbols that we're in a safe place with God. Even if there's chaos around us, even if we're in the midst of a global pandemic, we can be at peace. And we can be good with God. You know, our soul can be, uh, it is well with my soul, we can sing, as we take communion. And, uh, you know, personally, I've had fears during this time of COVID. I've had worries. I've had anxieties. Uh, you know, I've had nights that I wake up and I'm, you know, troubled with things. Um, you know, an uncertain immediate future. Uh, but there, this is a time to, during communion today, to take a breath 
be still, wait on God, cast our anxieties on Him, know that He is there and He is with us, and our, uh, our hope and our, our, our investment is in uh, the kingdom to come. It's in uh, heaven. And uh, as we pray for communion, I want us to reflect on this passage, 1 Peter 1, verse 3. I'll read this uh, and then we can pray. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. We're safe (coughs) until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Let's pray. God, thank you for the new birth that we can have through baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, because of uh, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us that gives us a new life and a new beginning. You know, if it's been a while since we got baptized, uh, sometimes we can forget that. We can forget uh, that we are new creations and uh, we are new creatures uh, because Jesus is Lord and reigning in our lives and reigning in the world. Help us to remember that as we take this uh, this bread which symbolizes his body and the, the juice which symbolizes his blood. Help us to remember uh, that price that was paid for us and the new life that we have. Uh, thank you that we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And I uh, pray that we can be encouraged in our faith today. We can remember to remain true, to live by faith, to not allow um, struggles or adversities to bring us down, uh, but God, to, to remember that we're safe in you, we're safe in your blessings, we're safe in your arms. And uh, thank you for this time to, to celebrate communion together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.